So apologies for the uh, delay. Um, first of all, I think um, I'll begin with, um, if you could mute, mute please, Stan. That's it, thanks. Um, I'll begin really, I suppose, with the 40,000 um, landmark, if we can use such a term, for 40,000 deaths. Of course, we actually know um, that uh, more than 40,000 have died, uh, but this is official COVID-19 uh, deaths. We know that um, um, there will be um, others um, in terms of um, COVID-associated uh, deaths. Nonetheless, uh, given at the beginning of this uh, pandemic, um, you know, the talk was of uh, 20,000. Okay, the admission was 20,000 and we'll be lucky. Well, given how uh, we stand at the moment, maybe we're in the middle um, of the pandemic. Maybe we're sort of um, at the um, evening out stage. Maybe we stand on the threshold of a downturn and then a second spike. None of us actually know for sure. Um, either way, what we do know for sure is the total numbers of uh, uh, deaths uh, will be considerably greater uh, than 40,000. Now, although I've um, spoken about this uh, before, um, I think it is worthwhile um, visiting um, um, a report from last week uh, that was run in the um, Financial Times um, dealing with um, countries that you can... Um, uh, compare reliably one with the other. In other words, uh, countries uh, that have reasonably reliable statistics and statistics that can be reasonably assuredly, um, how should you put it, uh, cross-referenced. Uh, um, it has to be said that although Boris Johnson talks about doing incredibly well um, in terms of the government's handling um, of this um, um, epidemic. Um, the fact of the matter is, if we actually look at Britain in global terms, um, it actually comes out appallingly bad. Uh, in other words, it, it comes uh, at the top or the very near top of every set of statistics uh, that are significant um, in this respect. So, um, what we have in terms of the highest um, uh, deaths, um, and this isn't uh, COVID deaths in terms of uh, death certificates, but COVID deaths in relationship to the normal um, uh, rate uh, of death. And what we have is the, Unite, uh, the United Kingdom as the second highest in the world. Um, so as I, I spoke already about 40,000 deaths, that, that's deaths that doctors put COVID-19 um, on the uh, death certificate. But in terms of um, excess deaths, um, um, a week or so ago, uh, we were already at 59,537. 
Um, so now uh, that will clearly be over 60,000 uh, deaths that you can reasonably attribute uh, to COVID-19, i.e., for example, uh, if you take people not going into hospital after they've had a stroke or not going into hospital uh, for cancer treatment, these people are included in that uh, 60,000. Um, so, um, in terms of um, total deaths, what's remarkable is, okay, uh, given uh, Britain's um, size of population, it actually stands second uh, to the United States. The United States obviously has a considerably larger population uh, than the UK, and the death rate in the United States is actually considerably lower uh, than uh, the UK. But in terms of total deaths, uh, it's the United States first. Remember, we're not dealing with um, all countries. We're only dealing with a, a package of countries. So I was reading today uh, that Brazil has the honour of being in the second uh, place now. But on the other hand, uh, its statistics are notoriously unreliable and the government there is doing its best to actually make those statistics even more uh, unreliable, so embarrassing they are. So in terms of this Financial Times study, remember, uh, what we're talking about is uh, uh, the US first, UK second, Italy third, and Spain fourth. I mean, a dreadful, dreadful uh, uh, record. Um, so, uh, nothing, I think, there uh, for the government uh, to boast about, uh, quite the, the opposite. Um, I think it's also worthwhile um, just stressing in the light of um, um, Stand Up to Racism and other organisations uh, talking about the number of BAME uh, deaths, which is clearly considerably greater uh, than average in the population. So you're dealing with something like two, three or four times uh, the rate of death uh, depending on what your ethnic uh, uh, group is. Um, but um, if you're a pensioner, you're 34 times more likely to die uh, than if you're um, um, a working age uh, British um, uh, adult. Uh, so that really does tell you uh, that this uh, particular virus uh, affects older people and one would guess that it will be older people with some underlying uh, condition. I'll come to the question of um, BAME um, um, in a minute. Um, just to make the point, though, uh, that a number of scientists, I think quite rightly, have spoken up. Uh, most recently, it's John uh, Edmonds, a member of uh, the government SAGE, uh, body, and I think he's um, come out with, um, you know, a clearly true statement, and that's basically that the government went into lockdown um, too late, maybe two weeks, maybe even three weeks uh, too late, uh, and is coming out of it too early, and that um, um, I, I think uh, underlines uh, not just 
um, the government's handling of this, but it actually revealed uh, a deeper structural problem that you can't just blame the Tories for, that you'd actually have to blame New Labour and the Tories for, and that is the running of the health system on a just-in-time uh, basis. In other words, they were running hospitals on the basis of um, you must have at least 94% of all beds filled, which sounds very uh, sensible and efficient, you know, um, so you keep 6% um, vacant for emergencies and um, uh, unexpected events. Well, when you have unexpected events like COVID-19, just having 6% uh, vacant beds uh, leads you to a disaster and um, that clearly um, uh, influenced government thinking uh, also what we had is a government uh, that it ignored uh, and that goes back to um, uh, what's his name um, previous health uh, secretary I can't remember his name offhand uh, either way what we had is this operation uh, sickness run and what that revealed that if there was a, a pandemic uh, the NHS wasn't going to be able to handle it not only because of beds uh, but because of um, uh, testing uh, uh, facilities so the government has um, not handled uh, this well um, I think that any attempt to argue uh, that it's handled it well well um, it is worthwhile comparing um, um, Britain's performance um, let me get it um, with, with what really surprised me and um, I have to say that um, you know take me a month ago and I would have predicted the exact opposite opposite and I, I know in the article I wrote I was writing something along those lines uh, you know in terms of when um, COVID-19 hits the so-called third world um, this is going to be a disaster. Well, it could still happen, and uh, Bolsonaro in um, Brazil is doing his best to uh, confirm uh, that prediction. But it is worth noting uh, that Israel, which I'm not claiming is a third world uh, country, but also South Africa, uh, which clearly is in terms of its health service, uh, in terms of the living standards and uh, education levels of the vast mass uh, of its population. In those two countries, in spite of COVID-19, they've actually had less deaths this year than they would expect normally. Uh, which is a remarkable uh, achievement um, and clearly in South Africa uh, that owes a great deal uh, to their eventual um, um, getting a handle on um, the AIDS uh, uh, epidemic uh, which hit South Africa and if you remember um, you had a president um, who was in denial um, uh, over uh, over AIDS, uh, that this isn't um, a real um, illness, it's not connected with HIV um, and all the rest of it. So that South Africa delayed um, um, handling uh, the AIDS ep epidemic, but eventually when it did, it put in place uh, lots of uh, community-based um, medics and uh, people who went around testing and it's that infrastructure 
that they put into action. At least that's how I would read it. But even then you've got the remarkable statistic of actually less deaths this year uh, than you would normally expect. Now, having spoken about uh, Bain people, uh, I know we had uh, Masen, Dr. Masen, um, talking to one of these um, um, meetings, and he was asked uh, about Bain people and, and talked about vitamin D. Um, I don't deny uh, that vitamin D is important, especially if you've got dark skin uh, in such a country uh, as Britain. When I look out at the sky, uh, uh, today, uh, for example. But um, what I would say is, is the major factor uh, when it comes to this disproportionate number of deaths is the question of class. And if you look at um, uh, BAME people, um, on average, what they uh, do is they occupy... Um, um, social positions at the bottom um, of uh, the working class. Of course, that's not an absolute. There are plenty of doctors um, um, in the NHS uh, that come from a, uh, a BAME uh, a background. Nevertheless, if we actually look at a study done by, not my normal reading, I have to say, the Institute of Housing and uh, their journal Inside Housing, what they find is a very close correlation uh, between bad housing um, um, and uh, deaths. And uh, at the top uh, of the league is Newham, uh, then Brent, then Tower Hamlets, then Camden, then Leicester. And what we mean by bad housing, how they actually judge bad housing, is houses of multiple occupation. So, you know, if you have to share a toilet or a bathroom, um, if you're living in such a, a household and you're sharing those facilities with families, the tighter packed you are, uh, the more likely you are to die uh, from COVID-19. Uh, they also factored in homelessness. This doesn't just mean people living on the street. It means people who are having to, um, you know, what do they call it, couch uh, uh, surf, go from one house to another, um, you know, living in um, insecure uh, uh, accommodation, maybe living in hostels, uh, for example. Uh, another factor that they put into their, their study uh, was the question of uh, council house and social housing waiting lists. So all of them, what we had is Newham at the top, Brent at the top, Tower Hamlets uh, at the top. Uh, and, of course, anyone who knows Newham, anyone who knows Bren, anyone who knows Tower Hamlets uh, uh, knows uh, what the population uh, looks like. So one can describe that as racism uh, if one wants. Uh, but I actually think that what we have here is a class uh, question, uh, i.e. the poorer you are, uh, the more insecure uh, you are, uh, the more likely uh, you are to go down with COVID-19 and the more likely you are to die uh, from uh, COVID-19. Uh, now, you could say, uh, I don't know if this is the position of Diane Abbott uh, and others, but everything would be okay um, if we, um, how should you put it, 
racially evened out uh, the population. So um, I'm just making up these figures now. So say uh, 5% of the population are characterized as black. Well, as long as uh, 5% of the top 1% of billionaires uh, are black, everything's okay. And as long as um, um, that white people share the same poverty and the, and the same bad housing conditions as Bangladeshi uh, origin families and Caribbean uh, origin families, then it would all be okay. Well, no, it would not be okay. Uh, so we need to introduce uh, the question of class uh, into this discussion. Otherwise, I don't think we see uh, what's really going on. Okay, so that's my um, initial remarks on COVID-19. Just quickly um, to note, having mentioned Brazil, um, Brazil is also talking about coming out uh, of the World Trade, no, excuse me, the World Health um, Organization uh, for the same reasons as the United States. Um, it considers it politically uh, biased. Um, but, of course, uh, the handling of the uh, uh, COVID-19 uh, pandemic in Brazil um, is chaotic and criminal, uh, uh, quite frankly. And that's that's the reason uh, we see that uh, particular uh, move. Um, OK, right. Now moving over to Black Lives Matter and the protests sweeping not only uh, the United States, uh, but all manner of, um, of different uh, uh, countries. Um, in the United States, I think today that there's, I haven't seen the news, uh, there's going to be a massive um, demonstration in Washington, uh, but we've already seen huge demonstrations um, um, in, in uh, US uh, cities. <coughs> Um, and what, what's happened, I think, is that there's been two approaches to dealing uh, with these uh, uh, protests. One is uh, to placate them, and uh, that's clearly the position of most uh, Democrat mayors and uh, Democratic senators and candidates and all the rest of it. So we've seen, for example, um, Derek Chauvin, uh, the police officer concerned, uh, in this killing, uh, we've seen his um, the prosecutors basically uh, go from third degree murder to second uh, degree murder. We've also seen the charging of uh, the three other officers uh, who were involved uh, in the incident. It should be pointed out uh, that in the United States, there's a law uh, that limits the liability. Uh, the criminal liability of police officers. This isn't something that exists uh, in Britain, um, but is something that ought to be noted in the United States. In other words, it isn't just a question of racist or violent uh, police uh, officers. It's also a legal system that actually protects those violent or racist uh, police officers. Uh, and until that is tackled, uh, then police officers have basically got carte blanche uh, to deal with people uh, in the most violent, in the most vicious uh, manner uh, that we saw 
for example, in uh, Minneapolis, and we've seen um, uh, against uh, uh, Black Lives um, uh, demonstrators uh, since then uh, as well. Now, in terms of uh, placating, uh, we've seen um, um, in Washington, for example, you know, huge murals and um, streets with Black Lives Matter, all uh, done with the blessing and the instructions, indeed, of the mayor. On the other hand, then there's Donald Trump, um, who's talking about the governors and the mayors being soft and basically has been calling for martial law. Uh, send in the troops. I've got uh, regular uh, units ready. Uh, for example, he's um, moved, um, I think, 9,500 troops from Germany back uh, to the United States. And of course, what is, what's this is what this is provoked is not only um, objections from Democrats. Amazingly, uh, we've had uh, Mark Esper. Uh, the, the serving defense secretary uh, come out and object, as well as uh, James Mathis, uh, the former uh, defense secretary uh, under Trump. Quite remarkable. Uh, how long he remains as defense secretary, uh, I don't know. But if you think about it from Trump's point of view, not only has he handled um, uh, COVID-19 spectacularly, uh, wrong, you know, sort of taking um, anti-malaria uh, uh, tablets that the World Health Organization says, hey, that's actually, we think that that's actually a health risk uh, uh, in terms of your heart. Don't do it. We're, they've suspended trials um, uh, on that one. Uh, uh, Trump talking about, well, this disease, we're going to get rid of it, carry on working, uh, don't go for lockdown and all the rest of it. Um, so he's handled COVID-19 extraordinarily uh, badly. Uh, but in terms of these protests, uh, what he's calculating um, um, on is, is basically middle class fear. And in the main, of course, white uh, middle class fear. And OK, do we mean middle class or do we mean, um, how should you put it, um, what we in Britain might call the upper end uh, of the working class. I'm not quite sure. Uh, either way, um, you can read lots of articles in the mainstream press saying that this is from the Richard Nixon um, songbook. Um, for, for, the, for those that don't know their history or weren't alive at the time, um, basically what you had is uh, huge demonstrations uh, against the Vietnam War. This was a war that was started under Kennedy. Uh, this is a big American intervention, uh, which then gets ratcheted up uh, under his successor. After he was uh, assassinated um, in Memphis, um, Johnson um, takes charge, his vice president takes charge and basically goes in for carpet bombing um, uh, Vietnam. Um, um, so we saw tremendous um, levels of destruction and death and basically um, Johnson thought he could win the war through physical force. Um, it didn't prove to be the case um, 
and uh, he basically decided at the end of his term not to run uh, again for president. Um, and what do we have? Walter Mondale, if that's the sort of name that I remember. I might be wrong, so um, if any American comrades online uh, want to point that out, I don't mind being humiliated. Either way, um, what you had is um, uh, peace candidates. Um, maybe it was McGovern. Anyway, you had uh, various peace candidates running in the Democrats, you know, on a sort of Bernie Sanders type, uh, sort of a mavericky way. So you had a guy called George McGovern. Uh, you also had Bobby Kennedy, who was assassinated uh, uh, at that time. But either way, this was in the context of massive um, anti-Vietnam uh, War uh, demonstrations, huge movement. Uh, amongst uh, youth. And on the Republican side, uh, they chose Richard Nixon. Now, Richard Nixon was a Cold War vice president um, um, back in the early 60s, late 50s, uh, a Cold War uh, warrior. And um, he basically ran on, on a law and order uh, uh, ticket uh, he said he was speaking on behalf of the silent uh, majority. Uh, well, it actually turned out that he was. Um, and he paid, pl played the patriotic card, standing with our boys, standing with our army, and won. Um, this seems to be uh, what, uh, uh, Nick, uh, 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 what Trump is doing. Um, he seems to be um, calculating... Uh, that uh, these Black Lives Matter demonstrations uh, can panic um, the middle class um, into the uh, Republican uh, uh, camp. Now, if you look at opinion polls uh, at the present time, uh, they don't look very good uh, for Trump. So the latest poll that I read was Biden on 51%, uh, Trump on 41%. So that's a big lead uh, in terms of Biden. On the other hand, you know, presidents have the initiative. Uh, they are the executive power. Um, and presidents can provoke uh, demonstrators. And I think that's clearly uh, the tactics that uh, Trump is employing. He's not going out to conciliate. He's going out there to rile people up. So his talk of martial law... Uh, his talk of using force, um, his talk of um, anti-FAR uh, uh, being a terrorist um, organization, all that is designed uh, to drive people uh, away from uh, Biden uh, into uh, the Republican camp in November. Um, all I would say, um, I mean, I, all I would say is I, I ain't going to predict the result. Um, I was very surprised that uh, Trump was elected in the first place. All I can say now is it wouldn't surprise me uh, if Trump was re-elected. Most presidents get re-elected. Uh, most uh, presidents uh, actually manage to go for two terms uh, um, 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 uh, as uh, a president. So, Maybe he'll be the uh, exception um, in terms of uh, recent history. Let's wait and see.
Okay. Um, before I get on to Black Lives Matter proper, uh, just thought the question of Twitter and uh, the um, debate uh, that's taking place um, also on Facebook uh, about blocking um, um, Trump. Uh, this is interesting um, because obviously such companies are under pressure from the illiberal establishment to clamp down on so-called hate speech, which, uh, of course, we disapprove of hate speech, but it does depend on what you hate. Uh, if you hate the existing uh, class structure, if you hate the existing capitalist society, um, is that hate speech? If you hate uh, Israeli expansionism, uh, is that hate speech? This is very hard to judge. Historically, and I think quite rightly, Marxists have stood for unrestricted freedom of speech. Um, and as Marx famously argued as a young man, free speech goes uh, with the thorns. You not only have the rose, uh, you also have the thorns. We recognize the bad side to it. Now, we're not advocating someone claiming that they have the freedom of speech and getting up in a crowded cinema and shouting fire. Uh, we don't mean uh, that when we talk about freedom of speech. But we do believe that people have the right to put over uh, wrong ideas. Uh, we do believe that people have the right to put over bad uh, uh, ideas, reactionary ideas. Indeed, if we look at the mainstream media, most of the ideas that they put over are bad, are reactionary, uh, and many of the, the claims they make uh, are false. Um, so, when it comes to them blocking uh, the US president, um, we shouldn't be praising uh, such companies. We should be saying, well, if, if the US president uh, has uh, 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 such a, a trouble getting over his views, we should be well aware uh, that uh, such uh, measures have already been used many times over uh, against uh, the left. Um, we well uh, know that. So we don't rely uh, on these platforms as ushering in uh, some new golden age of uh, free speech. Uh, they have been a, a, a boon uh, in terms of getting ideas over. Uh, they've got their negative side. Of course they have, uh, but don't have illusions uh, that in and of itself, uh, the, the medium itself uh, can be a force uh, of liberation. Okay, um, on to Black Lives Matter. I've mentioned uh, the demonstrations in the United States uh, you can also talk about uh, in Europe, in Paris, um, in Australia, uh, but also uh, in the United Kingdom. So there's been demonstrations in London, uh, demonstrations in Manchester, Glasgow, Edinburgh, uh, I think is today. Uh, also Bristol. Uh, I have to say that um, I sort of approved um, of the toppling of the statue of Edward Colson. Um, I don't know the guy, um, uh, but um, if you take Liverpool and you take Bristol, uh, these were uh, ports that were in particular uh, concerned with the slave trade. 
uh, either taking back uh, the products of the slave trade um, from the Americas or uh, actually going down uh, to Africa in order to pick up um, slaves from slave traders uh, in order to take slaves over uh, uh, the Atlantic. And fortunes, of course, were made and buildings were put up named after uh, these particular individuals and also statues uh, were put up. So I think it's, um, yeah, I, I, I definitely approve of the idea of not just taking street names for granted. I don't want to get crazy uh, about it. Um, I mean, <laughs> you know, the number of Alberts and the number of Victorias, uh, for example. Nonetheless, being historically conscious, uh, uh, I think, is healthy. And I certainly know in Liverpool, uh, the black population there, which is uh, well established, uh, precisely going back uh, to, um, you know, I don't know exactly, but I'll just make this one up, sort of uh, 18th uh, century, uh, uh, and Bristol, again a black population well settled uh, way back in uh, British history. These people are very conscious uh, of who was a slave trader. And indeed, I think uh, you've got buildings um, in such uh, uh, cities uh, actually with black faces um, um, on the buildings. Uh, actually, you know, here we are, here we this is how we made our money, something they felt confident about boasting uh, about in the first half uh, of the 19th century, uh, obviously not now. So pulling down a statue, uh, uh, I thought, was um, um, good. On the other hand, um, uh, I was just looking at the uh, comment um, postings uh, of various newspapers and you can see why Trump is making his Nixon uh, calculation. Lots of comments about crazy people breaking the lockdown. Lots of people talking about, well, at least we've got the freedom to uh, emigrate. Uh, in, in other words, a, um, an anti-black uh, lives uh, sentiment uh, clearly uh, exists as well. Um, okay. Um, what else about the demonstrations? Well, yeah, um, I have, have to say that I wouldn't have again predicted such uh, demonstrations because we're in, still in the middle of lockdown. On the other hand, uh, it has to be said uh, that the lockdown, maybe because of the Cummings effect, maybe just because of the time it's lasted, shows all the signs of fraying, uh, that people are uh, mixing more, uh, people are ignoring the rules more, uh, and clearly if we take uh, demonstrations, uh, this isn't about uh, defying a lockdown. Note how many people are wearing masks. Nevertheless, uh, these demonstrations are taking place under conditions of lockdown, uh, which gives it an extra significance, uh, in my view. Also note, uh, overwhelmingly, um, the demonstrators are holding up self-made uh, placards, homemade placards from cardboard uh, boxes. Uh, that's the general uh, picture. Um, also note uh, no SWP. Uh, so I haven't seen a single 
socialist worker uh, placard, although I have seen um, socialist party uh, placards, and I think the Evening Standard has run a particular um, a lone demonstrator slagging off the Socialist Party uh, for raising socialism um, on a Black Lives um, Matter uh, matters demonstration. Uh, this is one person. What is noticeable about these demonstrations, um, both in Britain but also uh, the United States, is is how young they are, uh, but also how mixed uh, the demonstrations uh, are. Uh, which I think is a very healthy uh, uh, thing. Um, so these demonstrations are very mixed, they're clearly spontaneous, um, and this is happening in spite of uh, Matt Hancock and uh, Pretty Patel uh, warning people uh, not to uh, go on them. Um, having said that, uh, clearly in terms of the politics um, um, involved, uh, what we're talking about is, in essence, identity uh, politics. Um, and certainly if we take the establishment, uh, and what I mean by that is the sort of BBC, ITV, Sky, um, uh, sort of media, what they are running with is identity uh, politics. So, you know, they're, they're running um, um, how not to be a racist um look deep into your soul and um, um search out uh the um the evil racist demon within yourself uh, to expunge um which i think is um worse uh, than a waste uh, of time because what it does is it makes uh, the white population um, into the problem and it makes attitudes and psychology the problem rather than the actual structure of society which is what I spoke about in relationship to COVID-19. COVID-19 uh, doesn't know uh, that it's targeting uh, black people or um, British Asian uh, uh, people. Of course it doesn't know that it's targeting poor uh, people but that's what it does it targets poor people and if we take uh, police violence i mean i have read studies of the united states for example um of states where there are very very few uh, black people um and you of course you still get instances of uh, police violence and police killings um and of course from a police point of view what their role is, is not to stop crime, it's to keep law and order on the streets. And they're more likely uh, to come across poor people breaking the law than they are rich people. Uh, the police don't go to the city uh, uh, to search out people taking cocaine, um, um, you know, in Canary Wharf. Uh, what they do uh, is search out drug dealers uh, um, um, on the streets. What they do is search out uh, petty thieves. They don't search out uh, the big uh, thieving uh, that goes on uh, with the banks. Um, so in terms of the attitude of uh, the police, I'm not denying that some of them uh, will be out-and-out out racists. But really what the role of the police force is, as I said before, 
is to deal with the bottom end. That's who they mainly end up dealing with, the bottom end of society. Um, so again, it's not about just uh, uh, rooting out bad uh, police officers. It's about the structure of society. And of course, that's a much bigger, more fundamental question uh, than just searching out individual attitudes amongst the police or um, uh, racist attitudes uh, amongst ourselves. So, for example, this is a silly example, but this was what we had um, on the BBC. We had some expert in um, anti-racism um, who came to Britain, I presume, from the Indian subcontinent uh, 20 years ago and was telling us, uh, Radio 4 listen listeners, uh, that uh, she constantly gets um, told uh, by white uh, people how good her um, English accent is. And she said, well, this is clearly an example of racism. Well, actually, I think it's people being polite to her because when i listen to her even though she's been in britain for 20 years her english accent which i've got no problem with was actually dreadful um you know she was understandable but only just sort of idea so i think people were being nice uh, to her um but as i said it's much easier uh, to accuse people of uh, microaggression uh, by saying how good your uh, English accent is than actually saying that the class structure of society is the problem. Now, having said that, um, we don't want to ignore uh, the question of race. Now, of course, race, um, and scientists will tell you this if you ask any sensible scientist, and we're talking about biologists, race does not exist. Um, it doesn't doesn't exist at the level of biology. Um, there isn't a black race. There isn't a white race. All of these things are social inventions. So black people became black people uh, because of history and because of particular social experiences. In in the same way, uh, it's quite right to say uh, that the white race itself was an invention, uh, something that was invented in uh, the Americas in order, for example, to incorporate uh, the Irish uh, into uh, mainstream uh, uh, politics. Previously, the Irish had been at the bottom uh, of the pile. In order to win them over, you invent the white race. America, remember, we're talking about the 13 colonies and the expansion of the 13 colonies is founded as a Protestant um, a settlement. Uh, it was anti-Catholic. Well, clearly the Irish would therefore constitute a problem. And you either uh, other them or you incorporate them. Uh, they incorporated them. Okay. Um, in terms of uh, the UK and the United States, is the experience of racism different or is it the same? Clearly it's different. It's a different um, um, society with uh, a different history, uh, with different uh, dynamics. Um, if we look at the United States uh, and we look at its prehistory, it's worthwhile noting that the first generation or two or three um, of forced labour um, on um, Caribbean and uh, southern plantations 
um, were the scum uh, off the streets of uh, London, um, and those people tended to die extraordinarily uh, quickly. Um, it didn't prove to be sustainable. So having wiped out um, um, either militarily uh, or through diseases the native population, uh, the slave um, 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 holders, the slave, the, the slave uh, plantation owners uh, turned to Africa. Um, and therefore we had the identification uh, between being black and being a slave. Uh, to be black was to be a slave, to be a slave was to be black. That's how things developed uh, in the United States. And of course there were exceptions, some blacks uh, lived in the north. Nevertheless, that is how the system uh, worked. Um, in Britain, of course, we had the slave trade, uh, but you didn't have uh, the uh, a substantial importation uh, of black labor really until after World War II. I've already mentioned Glasgow, Bristol. You could also mention uh, South Wales. Uh, there are exceptions. Nevertheless, uh, it was um, after World War II uh, that you saw the recruitment of um, uh, labor uh, from the Indian subcontinent, um, some extent from Africa, uh, but also uh, the Caribbean. Um, of course, people faced uh, discrimination, but it was a very different uh, um, um, a system that they faced uh, compared with being legally enslaved. And of course, even with the end of slavery, after the end of uh, the Reconstruction uh, period, uh, we had a deal uh, between the northern capitalist class and the... Um, southern the southern um, plantation um, uh, class um, and uh, basically the, the so-called Jim Crow um, legal system uh, of where uh, blacks uh, were deprived of civil rights, deprived of um, uh, the ability uh, to vote. And that only changed really with the civil rights movement uh, of uh, the 1960s. Um, okay, just wanted to elaborate a little bit more, and I think I'll deal with only one more subject after that, and that is this question, I've already sort of touched upon it, of um, white uh, privilege. Um, as I understand it, and again, I could be wrong here, uh, but as I understand it, uh, this term was actually coined originally, originally, I think, in the 30s, uh, by a black um, intellectual, William Du Bois. Um, now, he evolved in terms of his ideas, if you read him, which is not understandable, um, which is understandable, rather, uh, from a position of where he thought races did exist in the biological sense that there was a white race, there was a black race, and what he stood for is the liberation uh, of the black race. Um, his ideas evolved, 
Um, by the 30s, I think he dropped those Victorian uh, ideas. Um, but yeah, um, let me get the date. I think, yeah, 1961, he actually joins the Communist Party um, of uh, the United States. And what he does, he actually drops uh, the term uh, uh, colour line uh, in terms of the divisions of US society, and he adopts the term class line uh, in terms of uh, the division uh, of uh, society. Um, now, what's worth noting is a lot of uh, present theorists of uh, white privilege use Du Bois, uh, early Du Bois, uh, in order to develop uh, um, um, their critique of what they call white uh, uh, privilege. Um, as I've said, um, race as biology doesn't exist. But race does exist, and this is the point that Du Bois uh, made, and I think it's totally correct, that race does exist as a social construct. And what you get in the United States is a particular, a particular manifestation um, of class and race uh, being tied up. Now that partially changed uh, in the United States because of the civil rights movement, and what you saw is with the establishment an attempt to create and to co-opt um, a black middle class. And in, um, in terms of middle class, we're talking about it in British uh, terms. Um, so that was definitely something that they conceded um, in the 1960s, but then went on uh, in order to incorporate that class um, into uh, the U.S. establishment itself. At the same time, what we've got is, of course, the continued uh, position of the vast mass of black people in the United States at the bottom um, of society. And what we've also got is the criminalization um, of the bottom um, of society. So in terms of the number of people incarcerated in the United States per thousands of the population, um, it's amongst the um, number um, in the world, and of course a massive disproportionate number of black people uh, are um, um, in prison or have been in prison and are therefore deprived, for example, of the vote. Just wanted to um, finish um, in terms of this particular discussion by um, well, I don't know about reminding comrades, but just pointing out to comrades um, 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 a little sort of footnote about uh, black history in the United States. The position uh, of the Communist Party of the United States was to call for uh, black self-determination. Um, this is something I think they adopted at the prompting of Stalin. Um, as you know, Stalin used to be the Commissar of uh, Nationalities in the uh, first Soviet uh, uh, government, so he, he knew his stuff, or he thought he uh, knew his stuff. Uh, and what he noted is that um, in the United States and in South Africa, that the Communist Party was massively, overwhelmingly white. Uh, and he called 
for the Communist Party of uh, South Africa. I think it was actually called the Communist, yeah, it was called the Communist Party of South Africa at the time, uh, to become a black party, that the, the key to the future uh, was to recruit black workers uh, into the party, and uh, that is what socialism uh, would rely on uh, in South Africa. And obviously, South Africa is a very different society uh, to the United States. Uh, blacks formed the majority of the population in the United States. Uh, blacks form a minority um, in uh, the USA. Nevertheless, the Communist Party of the USA was a white party. Uh, it would be a party uh, that would be divided uh, between people who spoke English and people who might still be speaking German or Swedish or Yiddish. Um, uh, it's worth noting that John Reed, the famous John Reed who wrote Ten Days It Shook the World, I think he was actually originally from either Sweden or Norway. His name wasn't really Reed, but he was of the wing of the party that said we must write and speak in English because this is the language of the American nation. Either way, uh, the turn to the black population happened in the late 20s and uh, it wasn't unsuccessful. But it was not successful because of the call for black self-determination. Now what they meant by black self-determination uh, to any Marxist who knows their ABC, had to apply uh, to a particular territory. Uh, you can't have self-determination uh, for a population uh, in terms of self-determination up to uh, the right to secede if you don't relate it to a territory. So if you looked at a map of the United States on the basis of colour um, in the late 1920s, what you had... Uh, in the bottom states, uh, going along from Florida, Texas, you know, Kentucky, Tennessee, or whatever, my American states aren't very good, but if you take the southern states, you had a definite line uh, of where the black population was uh, highly concentrated. Um, it wasn't all 13 states of the uh, southern confederacy, um, uh, but nonetheless, uh, you could locate a territory. Uh, and it was that territory uh, that the Communist Party of the USA was going to offer self-determination on the basis that the blacks should have the right to establish their own um, state. Now, as I said, that didn't recruit black people uh, to the Communist Party of the United States. What recruited black people... Uh, to the Communist Party of the United States was the campaign for equal rights, civil rights, voting rights, uh, and the Communist Party uh, took a leading role um, um, in uh, that, that struggle. Um, worth noting, um, uh, for those that want to denounce this line as uh, Stalinist, um, that um, Shackman, Max Shackman, um, also advocated uh, that position as a Trotskyist oppositionist um, um, in and around the CPUSA. And when the early Trotskyists um, sent a representative over to Propinko in, in Turkey, where um, Trotsky was in exile, uh, he also said, well, 
um, do the blacks actually really speak English um, in America, which shows something about Trotsky's knowledge of America at the time. But even he was talking about black self-determination uh, at the time. Clearly a wrong uh, 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 idea. Um, you know, uh, the blacks were not a nation. Uh, they were Americans, they spoke English, and they wanted uh, to have full rights in the American nation, not separate from uh, the US uh, nation. And that doesn't mean that all demands for self-determination and separation are reactionary, or shouldn't, you shouldn't raise such uh, demands, but clearly it was a mistake, it was a wrong line uh, to take in the USA. Right, lastly, um, you might say thank God, because we're now just gone six. I've been speaking for nearly an hour. Uh, worth noting, um, a joint letter, an open letter from 40 Zionists. Um, I'm not sure who they're writing to, but they're writing to, amongst others, to Mark Regev. I think he's the Israeli ambassador in London. Maybe they're also directing it to... Uh, the Israeli government, I'm not sure. But amongst the names, you'll recognise some of them. Simon Sharma um, of the FT, history writer, TV personality. Sir Ben Helgoff, I haven't heard of him. Simon Seabag Montefiore, historian. Sir Malcolm Rifkin, Tory, ex-Tory foreign secretary. Anthony Julius, lawyer. Danny Finkelstein, Times columnist, columnist, Howard Jacobson, award-winning novelist, Luciana Berger. Uh, well, you don't need to remind, I don't need to remind you who she was. Um, they've written uh, that the annexation by Israel uh, of uh, the uh, Jordan Valley uh, would be bad for Israel. It would be bad uh, for Israel's image as a Jewish and democratic state. Um, they say uh, that um, uh, this will split the Jewish community, of uh, which they claim the majority are um, Zionist. Um, so this is uh, 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 an open letter urging the Israeli uh, government to hold back uh, from um, uh, this annexation that Netanyahu uh, is talking about, and uh, Moshe Makover addressed that issue at the uh, last um, 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 online communist forum meeting, which we um, had a panel of speakers from Hands Off the People of Iran. Um, worth noting that the Board of Deputies, there's a minority on the Board of Deputies that agree with the, their position, but the majority say they don't take sides in Israeli politics. Well, what they mean by that is they don't take sides in terms of um, Israeli Zionist uh, uh, politics, uh, because clearly if we take uh, the Arab parties, um, uh, <laughs> they're opposed uh, to the uh, annexation, and I think they actually form uh, the third largest bloc uh, inside the Knesset after the last uh, elections. Uh, 
But uh, our 40 signatures say that this is um, something that runs uh, counter, uh, is, is incompatible um, with um, uh, Zionism. Well, I'm somewhat flabbergasted, I have to say. Uh, to me, uh, Israel is annexation. Um, it is expansionism. Uh, if we look at uh, uh, Israel um, in 1945, in 1946, it did not exist. What we had is Jewish colonies, Zionist uh, colonies. Uh, they certainly existed and they were financed um, um, uh, either by the World Zionist Organization or, or by various uh, uh, other backers and they were going up buying up arab land and of course what we saw uh, uh, after world war ii is the influx of uh, uh, jewish uh, people who survived the holocaust um, hitler's holocaust and uh, and um, extermination uh, lots of them fled uh, to um, israel uh, and that's in spite of uh, uh, the british uh, mandate and of course then what we saw is a uh, armed struggle um, carried out uh, by various Zionist groups against uh, uh, the British and uh, that ended um, in yes the establishment of Israel which then uh, launched an, expan an expansive war uh, and we saw the physical expulsion of um, um, the Arab population um, from various areas. We also then saw the 67 war and the expansion of Israel and then the subsequent annexation of uh, East Jerusalem and the annexation of the Golan Heights. And clearly uh, what we have in terms of the Zionist project is the aim uh, to take over the whole of historic, what they view as the historic Israel, whatever that is. If you actually look at your Bible, um, historic Israel could be, this is fantasy, um, according to the Bible, uh, under Solomon, you know, the temple and all the rest of it. Um, um, his Israel is meant to have gone from river to river from the river Nile uh, to the river Euphrates. Uh, clearly, that isn't um, uh, the modern Zionist project. There are far too many Arabs uh, uh, in the way. Uh, but in terms of um, um, uh, Israel, what they're talking about is existing Israel, and they're talking uh, about uh, the West Bank um, um, of the River Jordan. Uh, that is clearly part of uh, the Zionist project, and it's been part of the Zionist project from the beginning, whatever these 40 say. And it's worth noting that all parties in Netanyahu's government, and that now includes the Rump um, Israeli Labour Party, the sister organisation of the Jewish labour movement in the uh, Labour Party, all of those parties are committed uh, to Trump's uh, deal of the century, which does involve um, annexation 
um, of uh, the um, um, the settlements on the West Bank, uh, but also uh, the land um, along um, uh, uh, the Jordan um, uh, River. That's it.